Let me just set kind of some ground rules for what I want to do this summer so that you know what I'm doing, which is I am going to try to present a biblical perspective on the questions that you've submitted. I do want to say sometimes there won't be a super clear answer to the question. And I'll state that right out from the, from the get-go. But when that's true, I'm going to give my perspective on that particular question, okay? Might not be your perspective. I'm actually going to try to open it up most weeks for us to have a discussion. So if you feel like you need to get in your uh, theological position, you got a chance to kind of throw that in at that point. But I'm going to give you my, my perspective. I could do something, uh, and I might from time to time do this a little bit, where I cover, you know, all the eight theological perspectives on this particular issue. I'm not going to do that. I'm simply going to present what I think is, is true from a biblical standpoint, okay? We clear on that? Today is one of those examples. This question, the reason why it's going to take us the whole time is that this is a kind of a, a deeply discussed question that exists in Christian circles. It's been discussed for centuries. There are... Uh, whole denominations that, that are established based on this question. And so I'm, you know, I could present all of the different options, and there are quite a few different options with this particular question, but I'm going to try simply to present how I handle this particular question. So let's pray and we'll get into, get into that. Lord, I just thank you that we're headed into summer, joking about the, the, the heat, but uh, it is nice to be headed into summer, a little less busy schedule for me. Just thank you for my week of a lot of rest. And um, just thank you that as we head into this series on these questions, that you just prompted people to ask some, some excellent questions and that there are a lot to cover. Lord, I just pray that as we look at that, uh, look at these questions, that we would try to understand it from your perspective, try to see what the Bible reveals about it, and then make some decisions of our own based on your truth. And uh, where things are not, where you haven't revealed things, Lord, help me not to go beyond that and try to reveal them for you, but to trust that you uh, have revealed exactly what we need to live our lives wholly devoted to you. So uh, as we tackle this question this morning uh, about predestination and free will, Lord, I just pray that we just have a good uh, time looking at what you've revealed to us. pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, our first question that we have, have is, the question is this, if God knows the past, present, and future, do we have our own free will, or is what we do predetermined by him? Easy question, right? Simple, simple question. Uh, no, this is actually a very uh, difficult question. Again, this is something that's been debated over for many years. I have to say, unfortunately, I think it's caused some unloving behavior from within the church, from people who disagree about this particular thing. That should never happen. Uh, questions like these should never uh, draw us to disunity in the body. But I want to clear up a misunderstanding right from the start. Usually when I cover this question, I've answered this question many, many times with students over the years, there is sometimes a misunderstanding of the idea of foreknowledge and predestination or free will. And this question has a little bit of that in it, which is just because someone might, or God might know what's going to happen, which is foreknowledge, 
doesn't necessarily mean he, he predetermines what's going to happen, right? So, for instance, if I knew that you were going to go to the donut shop tomorrow and buy a sugar donut and eat it, right? If I knew that that was going to happen, somehow, you know, God revealed that to me or whatever. And then tomorrow, you go to the donut store and buy a sugar donut and eat it. Did I make you go to the, sugar, to the donut store to get a sugar donut and eat it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't blame it on me. Don't blame it on me. I just, I, I knew in advance. It doesn't make, it doesn't, it didn't make me predetermine or force you into that, into that action, right? I just happened to know beforehand, right? So there's, there's a distinction there that's an important distinction. God does know the past, present, and future, and he, because he knows all things, right? He is omniscient. Some places we can go for that, uh, Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Okay, God knew every day of your life, every moment of your life prior to you being born, and me too, right? He knew them all. Uh, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other, I am God. And there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not been done saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God is Lord over all. And, and that's not just Lord over all space, all space in the universe, but all time in the universe. He is Lord over it all. And so this, this debate causes typically people to look at passages like this and go, yes, most people on the, on the spectrum of predestination and free will, you know, that's usually the dichotomy that's given, and anywhere else on the spectrum are going to say, yes, God is Lord of all. God is, 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 is over all space and time. God is sovereign over every square inch of creation. We talked about that last week. And he's sovereign over every square inch of you and me. God is in control of the world. Now, how does that work out in reality is the question, right? Let's look at, at this uh, idea of him being Lord of all here. First Chronicles 29, 11 and 12 says, Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Yahweh. And you exalt yourself head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. God has dominion. He rules over all. He is Lord of every aspect of our existence. And by the way, God's sovereignty is a really, really good idea. I mean, it's reality, but it's also a really, really good idea. You and I do not want to live in a world in which God is not Lord of all. That would not be a good world. That would not be a good thing. Because, and, and the nice thing practically for us is knowing that God is, is all good and all powerful and in charge of what's going on in life should bring us a sense of security and, and peace in our lives. Because we know even though we can't control our lives, even though we try to do that, 
even though we can't control our circumstances, even though we can't control how other people treat us or what circumstances they draw us into, we have a God who is sovereign over all of it and is good, and we can trust him with that. Now, these ideas taken to extremes, and I believe that they are, these are extremes that I'm going to describe here, is that you can go to one side and say everything in the world, everything in time, is fixed in advance. And there are those who believe that. That there is nothing we can do to change or influence anything about what's going to happen in our lives and in other people's lives. That God is completely in charge of all that happens, including all of the free choices of mankind. That, that free, cho- free choice, free will is an illusion. That any choices that we make are, were already predetermined for us prior to us making those choices. And so basically, we're just living out predetermined lives and moments. And so every choice you make actually isn't your choice. It was God's choice that he predetermined beforehand to make. And so any sort of perception you have of making free choices is just an illusion. It's just something we tell ourselves to make us, ourselves feel better about the fact that because we like to be people who can make choices. And so it, it, while we appear to be free, we're not free. Our choices are actually uh, what would be termed as irresistible choices. We cannot resist making the choice that we're going to make. That's one extreme. The other extreme is God never determines ever anything. And in fact, he never ever infringes upon the free will of mankind. That the future is not fixed and actually our choices help determine the future of this world. And some in this camp would also say that God doesn't even really have any sort of say on how this world's going to turn out, how the end is going to look, because it's actually up to us to determine, us corporately and individually, us to determine what the future is going to look like. And God does, will never impinge on that. And so the future is really, truly based on millions and millions of individual choices by individuals, and let's see how this thing goes. And though God has some sort of a general outline of how things are going to go because of his foreknowledge, he really uh, has no control over the direction of this universe. That's another extreme. And there's plenty of theological and philosophical debate over this. In fact, not only within the church uh, has there been a debate over this over the centuries, but outside of the church, you know, what, even for centuries this has been discussed. How much of, the, of my life do I get to choose, and how much does some sort of deity beyond me choose, or some sort of circumstances and fate uh, play into it? I prefer, personally, and again, that's what I said I'd present, Neither of those options are good options. In fact, I think both of those options, if you go there, you're actually taking parts of Scripture and manipulating them to fit your perspective. I much prefer a third way, which is to celebrate who our God is and the freedom He's given us within any given passage at any time. 
And I'll tell you just off the bat, I have no idea how all of what I'm going to share with you this morning fits together. I have no idea. Not a clue. And honestly, part of that is I'm not going to choose to put that together. I'm intentionally in my life going, I'm not going to try to put it together because I have found in all of my years of theological study (laughs) and all that stuff that I had to study over and over again, I have found that those who try to put this together fail. And instead, they make God's truth something less than what it is. And I choose to go, you know what, I'm just going to hold up God's truth and celebrate what he's revealed, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So, let's look at some passages here. Romans 8, 28. Lots of people know this one, right? And we know that God causes, and by the way, the Greek word there is cause, causal, God causes all things to work together for, the good, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God is the causal force behind taking all of the stuff in our lives as, as those who love God, all the people, all the circumstances, all the, all the, the material goods in our life, um, everything that, that surrounds us, the good, the bad, the indifferent, he takes it all and causes it willfully to work for good in our life. That is God, cause, God is the causal force there. For those who love us, look at 29, for those who love us, for those who love him, us who love him. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, God knew us and all of our stuff prior to the foundation of the world, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Predestined, that word literally means to have a destiny prior to, beforehand, right? We all had a destiny prior to us fulfilling our destiny, and God gave us that destiny. And that destiny uh, is independent of the people around us. It is something fixed, and that is that we would be conformed into the image of his son, that we would look more and more and more like Jesus. And that is a path that God has set us on that is unchangeable. It is our destiny, and it's our future destiny too. So that, for the purpose that, he would be the firstborn among many brethren. The result is that we wouldn't just have one Jesus in the world, which was pretty amazing when it, was, when it happened, but that we would have tons of Jesuses in the world. Tons of little Jesuses who, are, who look a lot like Jesus. He would be the first. We would be the result. And we would live in this world as he would live in our shoes. And that's our destiny. And he's given us that destiny. And it's fixed. And it's purposeful on his part. Verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Every single one of those. That's a broad view of our lives, by the way, beginning to end. All of those words are very purposeful words. God made every choice in this verse. He predestined us. We didn't predestine ourselves. He called us. We didn't call ourselves. He uh, justified us. We didn't do any of that. We'd probably all agree on at least that one. He will glorify us. Actually, we, we live in a state of future glorification. It's, it's, there's a lot to get in there, but 
All of those things are, are, are things fixed by God, predetermined by him. 31, what shall we say to these things? Shall we debate predestination over free will? That's not what he's going to suggest. Should we split over this and become different denominations over this issue? I don't think so. How we should respond is, if God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Glorify him, the one, thank you, God, for making these choices in my life. Right? Thank you, Lord. That's how we should respond. Like, nothing can stand against us if he's predetermined these things and made choices for us. Yes. Thank you, God. And of course, some of us in the room right now are going, well, how does this work? How does this work in this situation in my life, in this situation in my life, in this situation in my life? This is why theologians debate this stuff. I have just chosen to go, you know what? I don't care so much how it works. I just thank God that it does, right? That he's done this. Joshua 24, 15 says this. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, that your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in, whom land you, in whose land you live. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. This is Joshua toward the end of his life giving kind of some final things to the nation of Israel. He's like, I'm, I'm going away. You guys need to know some things, okay? And this is one of the things he says. He, coming up to this, I, I really wanted to read all of what was before this, but we don't have time to do that. Read it for yourselves. It's cool. Uh, Joshua's whole speech here is awesome, right? Um, but leading up to this point, he kind of goes over all of the amazing things God had done with the nation of Israel, all the ways that he was at work uh, protecting the nation, fulfilling his promises to the nation. Um, Yahweh was amazingly sufficient for the nation of Israel, even when Israel was not faithful to him. So he reviews all that stuff. And he goes, look at how great Yahweh has been. But then he says this. Now, this God who fulfilled promises to Abraham, this God who, who brought Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, this God who uh, saved them through many, many trials and battles against uh, fierce fo foes. That God who had protected them in places where it was impossible to cultivate the land, God prepared things for them. He gave them fields that they had not planted. He gave them cities they had not built. This is who their God was. But he says, now, regardless of who God is, now you have a choice. You can serve Yahweh. You can serve the Egyptian gods. You can serve the Amorite gods. You make the decision. You make the call. It's now your choice. Did the Israelites truly have a choice whether to serve Yahweh or to serve the other gods? Yes. And the only way, again, this is my perspective, the only way you take choice out of words like this is to say, well, those who were predetermined to make that choice made that choice. And those who were not predetermined to make that choice didn't make, where do you see that here? Right? Again, I just want to take the passage the way it's, it's presented and not manipulate it so that I can figure things out. 
Instead, I want to go. The Israelites had a choice. At this moment in their life, they had the choice to serve Yahweh or serve other, other gods. Thank you, God, that you did all these amazing things for the people of Israel and that you freely, after you did all these things, didn't force them into a choice. You allowed them free choice. You allowed them to continue to exercise their free will that you gave them, you gave humanity in the garden. Thank you, God. Ephesians 1, verse 5 and 6, and then 11, says, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. Predestined again means to predetermine. He determined beforehand that we would have a certain destiny. He decided beforehand that through Jesus' work on the cross, that you and I, who have trusted Jesus with our lives, that we would be adopted as sons and daughters. And yes, I do believe the wording here means that some were not chosen as sons and daughters to adoption. We're not predestined to this. Again, the only way to not see the plain meaning here, in my opinion, is to manipulate it to fit, to make it make sense to us, right? And you can manipulate this verse, and you can read books that manipulate this verse, in my opinion. Instead, I choose to go, you know what? He gave us a destiny, and he predetermined it. He predetermined that I would be adopted as his son. According to the kind intention of my will, now, the kind intention of his will. This is him deciding something, not me deciding anything. His will, his choice. To the praise of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Who's to be praised? Me and my choice? Now, him and his choice. Whose free will? His free will bestowed on us, freely bestowed on us. He was under no compulsion to do what he did in making us sons and daughters of his. He chose it. He did it. Verse 11, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. Again, he predetermined a destiny for us. He decided beforehand a destiny for us and that it's according to his purposes in the world, not our purposes. Who works all things after the counsel of our counsel for him. Is that what it says? He works all things according to whose counsel? His own counsel. He doesn't take counsel. Are you kidding me? He's the God of the universe. He's the decision maker. It's his. Well, how in the world does that work with the whole choose now who you will serve? Like, how do, I don't know. I don't, I honestly, I'm at a point where I don't care. All I care about is the fact that I can praise my God for his kind intentions to freely choosing me. Thank you, God. Thank you. I want to be your child. Thank you for choosing me to be your child. Thank you for giving me a destiny before I was even born and all the messed up stuff that I've done in my life. You chose to do that for me. God, thank you. I worship you. John 3, starting verse 14. 
says, as Moses, li- Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Believes in is not to uh, believe facts about God. Uh, that's, that's, it's, uh, it's one of my criticisms of this word being translated this way. Um, is that I think sometimes we get a misperception of this. You guys have heard me talk about this a lot. This is the verb pistuo, which is based on the noun pistis, which is faith, okay? We don't use faith as a verb, but we should use faith as a verb. I wish we did, because what he's saying here is, so that whoever faiths in him will have eternal life, which means to entrust ourselves to him. This is willful language. And whose will is he talking about, his will or our will? Our will. We choose to trust him. That whoever chooses to trust him will have eternal life. That's my free choice to make. Look at 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the only one son he's ever had, that whoever believes in, trusts him, and trusts their lives to him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those who freely choose him will have eternal life. Look at 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Who did, he want to be, who did he want saved? The world. He wanted to save the whole world. He who believes, he who trusts in him is not judged. But he who does not believe, does not entrust their lives to him, has been judged already because he has not believed, not trusted, not entrusted himself in the name, to the person of the only begotten Son of God. Now, unless you manipulate this, there is clear choice all over these verses. Can we agree? Those who entrust themselves, willingly entrust themselves to God, will be saved and not face judgment. Those who choose, willingly choose not to entrust their lives to him, they're judged already. They've already made the decision, and their decision is going to have consequences. Thank you, God, that I have a choice. Thank you, God, that you didn't impose yourself on me, right? That you didn't impose yourself on us, that we had the free choice to choose to trust you and receive eternal life, and that you also allowed others to willfully not trust you. And it's unfortunate because there's judgment that's going to come with that. They're choosing judgment, right? It's a choice that they're making. But thank you for not forcing yourself. Now, how does that work with the last passage? I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. I'm just thankful that I had, I had the free choice to choose him and to entrust myself to him. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. You is plural here, by the way, you all. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. 
Who would he like to change their, the way they're going and, and run toward him? A limited set of people? No, he wants every single person on the planet, every single person that has ever lived for all time to go, you know what, I've been choosing to entrust myself to myself, and that's not the way to go. I need to now entrust myself to you, Lord. I need to give my life to you and run into your arms. And God wants every single person to do that. And in fact, thank you, God, that you're holding back your return because you want humanity to freely choose you. Thank you for being a God who cares that much about all of us. Matthew 22:14 says, "For many are called, but everyone's chosen." Now, many are called, but few are chosen. The setup to this is actually a parable. This is like the, the point of his parable. Jesus does that a lot. You know, he'll tell this story, and then he'll finish it with like, this is the point, right? This is a part of Jesus' kingdom parables, where he's describing what the kingdom of, of, of heaven is, which is the people of God, and what that's like. And so he describes the situation where a king sends out a bunch of invitations to people. And basically, all those people go, no, thank you. I don't want to come to that wedding feast that you have going on king. So they're unwilling to come. He does it again. They respond in a similar way and even worse. And because of their choices, the king rejects them. He says, no, thank you. If you don't want to be here, I don't want you here. So then he goes out and invites others to come. And they're like, yeah, we're in. And they all jump in and go, yeah, I want to be at the wedding feast. So they go and they're at the wedding feast. One of them gets kicked out, but that's another story. (laughs) But then he says, here's the point of the story. The story's nice, but here's the point. The point is, many get invited to come, but only a small group are chosen. This is weird language, by the way, based on the parable. Because who does it seem is making the choice to come to the feast? The king or the people? The people The people seem to be making the choice, either to come or not to come. But then his point is, hey, only a small group is chosen. What? Exactly. What? And it's okay to go, what? It's okay to have that tension. It's okay to go, you know what? Maybe God is a little smarter than we are. Right? Maybe God is working on such high, a higher level in, in his mind, you know, that, 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 that we can't get certain things that he clearly reveals. And maybe we just need to settle in and go, I don't get it, but I can trust in what he's revealed. That's me. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Choice language, right? He's knocking. For some people, he's just standing there and the knocks just keep coming. Because why? They never open the door. But some people choose to walk to the door, open it up, and have him come in. Choice language. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for not kicking down the door of my life. 
but for allowing, gently knocking and allowing me to open the door. Ah, thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, that you came in when I opened the door, right? Now on to Colossians 3, 12, and 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So he starts with this choice. There's a free choice that's, that's made here. Who makes the choice here? Chosen of God. God's the one who makes the choice. Who's the holy one? God's the, who made us holy. God made us holy. Who loved us? God loved us, right? All choices made by God. What I love about this verse is now it talks about how we should respond to that, right? God made this choice of me. So I should respond correctly to the privilege of being one of the ones he chose. I have a duty to respond in a particular way. That's what Paul is saying here. Because you are chosen, because you have been made holy and been loved by God, been a loved person of God, you now have a duty to respond in a particular way. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I, when I think about this, I think of those who are elected to office, you know, and uh, we, don't, we don't love politicians, but sometimes in like a, uh, in an acceptance speech, you'll, you'll sense a little bit of humility in the person, right? They'll go, I just am so humbled that you have chosen me to represent you, right? I'm, I'm humbled that the people of this district chose me to serve you. And I'm not going to take this role lightly. I'm going to go and do my best not to squander the opportunity you've given me to represent you. Red Bluff, right? That's the idea here is, God, I just am so thankful that you chose me. Out of everyone, you chose me. I'm not going to squander that opportunity. I'm going to respond the way I should respond to your choice of me with humility, compassion, gentleness, patience. Thank you, God, for choosing me to direct your love toward the world, to set me apart from all of humanity to reflect who you are in this world. Thank you, God, that you chose me to do that. I'm so privileged to be one of the ones you've chosen to do that. And I'm going to do my best not to, 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 to make your choice worth it, to respond with compassion and kindness and humility because you chose me to respond that way. Just a couple more. John 6, 44, 47, 64, 65. I'd like to give the whole passage, but we don't have time. This is Jesus speaking. It says, No one can come to the Father, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Who draws people to Christ? God the Father does. He's the one who makes that choice to draw people to Jesus. A little bit farther down, 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Is belief a choice word? A, a volitional word? It is. 
choose to have to choose to trust. Who chooses to trust? We choose to trust. How does that work? It's three verses later. I don't know. It works. Just a little bit farther down from that, verse 64 says, but there are some of you who do not believe, who do not entrust yourself. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus had foreknowledge of who would choose to trust him and who would choose not to trust him. Is this verse saying Jesus chose who would trust him and chose who would not trust him? It's not what it's saying. It's saying he knew in advance. No, they chose to trust him or chose not to trust him. He just knew in advance that they would. 65, very next verse. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by the Father. Who grants the person to come? The Father does. It doesn't sound fair. And this is the problem, right? Is that we don't like some of this. And I, and I have found in my life that when I don't like something, I want to manipulate it. I want to change it, right? I want it to fit my sensibilities. And instead, I think what we need to do is give up our weapons, give up our struggle, and go, God, I'm just going to trust in what you've revealed, right? Thank you, and, and thank you for what you have revealed and for what you've done. Thank you, God, for drawing me to your son. I'm thankful for that, that you did that. Then also, thank you for allowing me the free choice to trust you or not to trust you. What? Yeah, all of it we could thank him for, right? All out of the same passage, which is interesting, right? How about another one that's, that uh, similarly puts kind of these, these tensions in the same spot? Uh, Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his ways, but Yahweh directs his steps. So I decide where to step, and then Yahweh puts my foot in that step. Who's making the choice about that step? Me or him? Yep. Right? Am I making the choice? Yep. Is he making the choice? Yep. What? Right? Like, I don't know. I don't get it. That's okay. Thank you, God, that I get to make the choice to step and that you place me in those steps because I don't know what I'm doing. Right? Here's one that clearly reveals... Both things, and it's confusing, honestly. But Peter, who spoke these words, doesn't seem to have a problem with this tension. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God... You nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Who is responsible for nailing Jesus to the cross? <laughs> yes. But specifically, practically in that moment, who's responsible? God. Really? But isn't Peter holding them responsible? You put him down the cross, right? So... He was delivered over by the predetermined plan. This plan was, was laid out well beforehand, and it was determined by God. That's willful language. 
God decided exactly how that day was going to go down to, down to, the, down to the smallest detail. God was involved in every single moment of planning there. But then who carried it out? Man, the Roman government, Roman soldiers, the Jewish leaders. Are they responsible for their behavior? 100% they're responsible for their behavior. They made the choice to put them up on that cross. So who's responsible? God? Man? Yes? Yes? It's both they're both there, and you guys have probably figured this out so far because I've repeated this a million times. I'm okay with both, and I thank God that that wasn't some sort of an accident, that the way things went down was exactly how God wanted to do what he wanted to do to accomplish his plan in the world. I'm so thankful for God for doing that and being in control of that moment. Because I, I love my Savior, and the fact that God was superintending every single moment of that day, I'm so, so, so happy about that. And at the same time, I can also be very, very angry with how they treated him that day. And very, very upset over the fact that they made some pretty bad choices based on some really bad motivations. Everybody involved is, is to blame, fully to blame. And as Mike said, we also got to be pointing the finger at ourselves. Because did we put him on that cross? Better believe it. How does all this work together? Well, plenty of theologians have tried to put it together. And in my opinion, and trust me, I've read a lot of that stuff. I think when they try to put it together, they actually break it. I think it's better to hold the tension to go, okay, both of these things are very, very true. Neither are less true than the other just because we can't figure out how it all works together. That's okay. I don't think we need to answer this question definitively. We may feel like we need to have an answer so that we can win arguments with people. And there are plenty of people who can win arguments in this realm. Could probably beat me up. We may feel like we need it in order just to satisfy our own curiosity, right? Like, like I just need to know how this all works, so I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it work. Because I don't know about you, I don't like unanswered questions. They feel unsettling to me in some ways, right? So I don't want to feel unsettled, so I need to break it. I'd say let's not break it. Let's ignore the impulse. And just hold that all of these things we talked about this morning are all fully 100% true. And that we can trust in the God who revealed all this, and we can thank our God for all of the ways that he's involved. And all of the ways that he's freely allowed us to choose what we choose. And not have to create some sort of theology that makes it all work. Let me pray for us, and then I'm going to open it up a little bit for questions and comments. So, Lord, um, just so thankful for your truth. I'm thankful that this doesn't have to work in our minds. We don't have to know how it all works together. That it's okay. That's okay that there are things that we don't understand. In fact, 
God, as you know, I've been, become more and more comfortable with these things because they help me humble myself before you. That I don't have to have all the answers, that I don't have to know how all this stuff works, that I can view myself as inferior intellectually to you because I am and I should remain there. Lord, help us to celebrate these truths Celebrate how great it is that you have cared for us in such a way that you have chosen us, you've predestined us to be conformed in the image of your son. God, thank you so much for all of that. I just so enjoy being your son, and I am so thankful that you adopted me. You chose to adopt me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But also, I'm so, so thankful that you did not restrict my free will, that you allowed me to make the choice to come to you that I was not forced. Thank you for being that kind of a God. Help us to trust you in these truths. Pray this all in your name.